Hello, Philosa Hotties. Before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to give a huge thank you to everyone who's been supporting the Bot Cop growth and a friendly reminder about our new up and running Patreon. All of the funds we get from Patreon are put right back into the podcast to help pay for things like equipment, editing software, and overall sustainability. If pledging money for rewards like bonus content and homework help, among other cool stuff, interests you in any way, then head on over to patreon.com slash And if you're broke, then spread the word. That's it. That's my spiel. And without further ado, my name is Jordan Preston. This is Back of the Class Podcast. And if A, every child in my neighborhood rides a skateboard 24-7, and B, the sound of skateboard against the pavement outside my house generally ruins audio quality, then C, every child in my goddamn neighborhood does not give a shit about this podcast thriving. Excuse me, class. <laughs> class. <laughs> Joining me at the back of the class today is Layla, a.k.a. Lala Bender. Thank you so much for coming to the back, Layla. Of course. So just to give a little background, I met Lala when I was in grade 10 and you were in grade 12. Am I right about that? Yes. Okay, okay, we are two years ago. (laughs) Because we joined the same musical theater troupe, hashtag theater kids rise. Hell yeah, dog. And uh, we've been good friends since. I agree. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, I was like, <laughs> my my heart was like, uh, maybe we no, we're actually been good terrible friends. friends. You know, like I hate you so much. Oh, thanks. I've heard that a lot actually from a lot of different <laughs> people. Um, so you're enrolled in university, and I am not. So why don't you give us a lay of the land? What program you're in? How school's going? Stuff like that. Yes. Uh, okay. So I am in. Where am I? I go to the University of Toronto. Uh, I am a criminology specialist with an undeclared minor because I don't know what else to do and criminology sounded dope. Yeah, so I just learned a lot about crime, mostly about inequality and uh, how the system is basically just racist. It's a lot, but I really enjoy it and... It sounds like it. It sounds like you're very immersed despite the uh, the topics involved, which might off-put some people. Yes. Where Where do you, where would you consider yourself, you know, sitting in the class then? Uh, well... I'm kind of a big nerd, so and I like to get those participation points. So I'm mm-hmm, me too. I'm at the front of the class because um, I kind of force myself to sit there because it forces me to pay more attention, but also because I do like to you know ask a lot of questions and just say things when I want mm-hmm. you know engage so to speak. Yeah, that's the fun word for like be the star in the teacher's eyes. Yes, engage. I'm a Leo, so you know I have to do it. <laughs> So what is your, and I think I know the answer to this, but for context, for the listeners at home, what is your experience with philosophy? So my experience with philosophy is I took it in grade 11 and grade 12 uh, with the same teacher that you had, Mr. Mann, for two years. It was really fun. I also really appreciated it because it really did prep me for university because, you know, Mr. Mann always told us, like, this is what, you know, when you go to university, you're going to be forced to read a lot of readings that don't make any any sense but as long as you give it a good effort and then discuss it and engage with it in class you're gonna do well and I thank him for that and then I didn't take any philosophy courses in university so that's my experience it's okay it's like philosophy is riding a bicycle I'm sure I mean I haven't taken time off of it but I feel like it's one of those things that like you kind of are introduced to it once you can hop back on whenever you need to exactly 
So today we're going to be talking specifically about stoicism. Layla, do you know anything about stoicism? So uh, not really, no. I did search it up a couple days ago, but um, I kind of forgot what it was. So please uh, reiterate it to me. (laughs) Yes, of course. Well, we have the whole episode to do that. Yay! So before I learned about stoicism, I thought the word stoic had to do with statues. Like yeah, like that's the first thing that comes to mind. Right, because I think mostly, mostly because they sound similar. Um, and also like they sounded like they could be interchangeable because you could say like he looked stoic or like he looked statue esque kind of gave me the same vibes yeah i'm not right (laughs) but we're not far off we're not far off from the modern day definition of a stoic so like modern day definition that would be someone who's unemotional or indifferent to pain pleasure grief joy so that is sort of statuesque in a way because like you know you know how all those hero statues that are like made from like the guys who fought in like 1812 and they're like Yes. Surround. You're, they're supposed to be surrounded by like the brutalities happening around them, and they're just like blanket in the face. Like I do not give a shit about what is going on around me. Like that's that's stoic and also like statue esque. I think that's why I found them similar. Yeah. Because of those dudes that are just like there's like someone dying in the background, and they're just like I'm here. I don't care. They're just vibing. Yeah, it's very inaccurate. I feel like that was not their faces <laughs> at the point in time. But uh, we do suspension of disbelief. So that's kind of how we use Stoic today. But the modern definition of a Stoic is kind of a misinterpretation or mis- misrepresentation of philosophical Stoicism. So Stoic philosophers were not just emotionless, emotionless. I'm adding, I'm adding letters to that. They weren't just emotionless people. They had emotions. Um, there were a lot more layers to them than that. And we are going to explore those layers right now. Heck yeah. So we start off with the history. Well, first of all, do you like history? I do. I, I took it in first year. I didn't do it again because I didn't like the way the university taught it. But I do enjoy history. I have always hated history. Always. <laughs> Except for history in relation to philosophers because that stuff is whack yes i always hated history but i also was always good at history and i don't i actually i do know why because it was all memorization and memorization without actually retaining anything is very easy for me you know because i can just make up a song in my head and then go into a test and get it all right but i don't i i leave that room afterwards having learned nothing because i don't care i feel that history not my forefront you like history this should be fun for you history of stoicism It was founded by a Greek philosopher by the name of Zeno, which is a very fun name. I appreciate that. That's a cool name. Zeno. In all of my notes, I have it written down capital letters. Zeno. And as a whole, it would be considered a Hellenistic branch of philosophy. And that's just a way to describe the philosophical time period for anyone wondering. The Hellenistic world was a place when Greek culture was spreading to non-Greek places that had been conquered by Alexander the Great. And it specifically referred to philosophy. The Hellenistic period starts at the same time after Aristotle died. Yes. So linguistically speaking, the word Stoic was taken from some Greek word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But it translates to painted porch because Zeno, the founder of Stoicism, used to teach all of his students on a porch that was decorated all around it with mural paintings. Which I think sounds really cute. What an artsy place to hold a lecture. Honestly, very artsy. What's the artsiest place you've ever had a lecture? That's a good question. Um, Probably not a painted porch. No offense. No, not a painted porch. (laughs) The artsiest place I would consider is... um, I actually, at U of T, one of the lecture halls where they have, like, thousands of people in there is the lecture hall that was featured in the Mean Girls math, um, like, the math lead scene. No way! 
way. Yes. And in the background, like, after they go out of, like, the building and they're all, like, whatever in their mathlete jackets, uh, that's Hart House at U of T. Fun fact for the day. I go to school where they film Mean Girls, or at least not the whole thing, but part of it, so. I'm slightly shocked that I didn't know that piece of information because it's such a, such a random piece of information I would know. <laughs> But thank you I for only enlightening like a, me on this. Wow. You're welcome. A new a new enlightenment. You know, it's good for a philosophy podcast. So, yeah, exactly. Know. Well, we're filled with fun little tidbits. Um, <laughs> so a simple explanation of Stoicism. It's not just a belief or a group of beliefs. It's much more than that. It's basically a way of life, which just sounds very deep. I feel like anything now where I'm like, it's a way of life. I don't take anyone seriously who says that about anything. But Hashtag deep truthfully it was a quote-unquote way of life so the stoicism lifestyle centers around a person's ability to overcome their emotions so that they can obtain clear judgment and a sense of inner calm it's not about getting rid of your emotions it's really about being able to control your emotions in order to end your suffering hmm. so the ultimate goal of stoicism would be considered having freedom from all suffering which is pretty much for the most part the ultimate goal of all ethical practices yes okay um, also, sounds like something we want. Like, that, that's why people go to therapy, right? They go to therapy not to end their emotions, but to have control over their emotions. Yes, that's a good point, actually. For the most part, I think. Like, that's, you know. Yeah, I mean, that should be the goal. Yes, yeah. Well, the goal of the therapist is to do that, let alone what the person in therapy is actually <laughs> searching for. Precisely. So I, I, I dig it already. I'm into it. So now let's look at its relationship with other philosophies. Stoicism is really a refined version of cynicism, which we talked about in episode 10. That came out last week. Go listen to that. It took out some of the more extreme cynic beliefs and it gave it like a sprinkle of real world practicality. So the most recognizable cynic foundation that Stoicism took would be the love of the natural world. So just like we mentioned before, Stoicism is about controlling your emotions and the way they thought that you could control those emotions was to voluntarily reject any materialistic desires. So they got that idea from the cynics. They basically looked at the cynics and they said, hmm, okay, we're not a big fan of the bathtub life, but the anti-materialism that we can get behind, that we can work with. So basically like reject humanity, return to monkey. E that would be cynics. Cynicism. Cyn okay. Cynicism would be reject humanity, return to monkey. And then stoicism would be... <laughs> Reject emotion, return to monkey. Yeah, it would be like, we are humanity, learn from monkey. Yes, okay, there That we would go. be stoicism, because they're like, we're just refining it, you know? Like, we accept that we are different than monkey, but we have a lot to learn from monkey. Yes. That's stoicism. Wow. So taking it back in relation to ancient Greek ethics, which we covered in episode nine, really, I mean, everything is just connecting here. You really just have to go listen to all of my episodes. You gotta go listen, guys, come on. That was a good one. So Plato and Socrates, unsurprisingly, provide a lot of the basis for Stoicism. Socrates and Plato posed this question and set a standard that before any philosopher could embark into the daunting world of ethics, the first question you had to answer was, what was the goal of living? And at this point in time, during this Hellenistic period, everyone had kind of come to an agreement that the goal of life for everyone was to have happiness. They also agreed that in order to achieve happiness, your life must be filled with good things. But yes. that's, of course, vague. And when we put out the question of what is good, then that's when the universal agreement disappears. And that's when all these different ethical theories begin, including stoicism. Yeah. 
The Stoics believe that in order for a thing to be good, it must benefit a person under any and all circumstances. So let's pose a hypothetical. Money might seem like an obvious good. Wealth benefits a person under any and all circumstances. Eh, wrong. If I have money and choose to only spend that money on crack cocaine, it does not benefit me. See where I'm going with that? <laughs> I do. Um, so according to the Stoics, wealth does not count as good. But that doesn't mean it has to be bad. It's fair to say that everyone would prefer to be rich rather than being poor, you know? Yeah, so the Stoics probably. weren't just going to shut that argument down. They recognized that and they were like, I hear you, I hear you. So they created a third category for things that are not good but not bad and they called them indifference. They explained how there is a line between what is good and things that have value. Indifferent things like money has value, yes, which means we are likely to have a natural desire for it, despite the fact that it is not good. To use specific wording that the Stoics used, indifferent things that have value are considered what is appropriate, or this Greek word, which is oikeion, and I searched up how to pronounce it, so do not come for me. Props to you. Thank you. So oikeion, what is appropriate? The only things that are actually good are important characteristic traits such as wisdom, justice, courage, moderation, and things along the same line. Give me one second though. Mm -hmm. My dad keeps like calling me. I'm just going to tell him staff. I'm doing the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, we <laughs> Thank you, Jamu. Jamu. Anyway. I think Jamu would love us to move on to emotions. <laughs> yes, Jamu. So as we said before, the ultimate goal of Stoicism is to free yourself from suffering by giving a passive reaction to all the highs and lows in your life. Really, they said it was through quote-unquote apathy. But in its original Hellenistic form, the belief that a person should be apathetic was not how we see apathy now. It wasn't saying that you shouldn't care about anything, which is how we use the word apathy now. It's yeah. instead the idea that you should never be manipulated by those emotions. You should always be completely in charge of your reactions to life. Again, very therapy-esque. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just putting my own therapy onto everyone else's therapy, but I feel like this is a little bit of therapy right here. No, honestly, I like that. Like, I dig the idea of, like, not just, like, you have to be emotionless to, you know, achieve things, or you have to be emotionless to, you know, live a good life and, like, achieve your goals, but not letting your emotions take charge of the things that would, like, let you get in the way of that, you know? Yeah, love it. The Stoics <laughs> identified two main types of suffering, appetite and fear. We face appetites and fears when we are put in a scenario in which we judge the scenario as either good or bad. Both appetites and fears are also related to two other manipulative emotions, pleasure and distress. So we experience pleasure and distress when we fail to avoid our appetites and or fears. Reactions to pleasure and reactions to fear are considered excessive impulses that are disobedient to reason. For example, someone who's afraid of dogs, okay, Aye. might not have the rationality to see that a three-legged 18-year-old chihuahua standing in front of them does not pose a real threat. Yes. So their reaction is an excessive impulse that is disobedient to reason. I like that you specifically said three-legged. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say two-legged, but I was like, I don't want people really trying to imagine. Because then, then you're going on like, oh, that's sad. Or it's, it's cute. It's in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> I find dogs in wheelchairs really cute. I've never seen a dog in a wheelchair. <gasps> I'm going to send you a picture of a dog in a wheelchair right when we're done recording. Please it do. It is, they are very cute. Once they get, I mean, if they were like 
if they've always had to been in a wheelchair, then they're like, you know, used to it and them rolling around. Like they have speed. They are speedy McSpeedigans. It is so cute. I will send you pictures. I will send you videos. The Stoics call manipulative emotions like pleasure and distress fresh opinions, which is funny because we use the word fresh completely differently right now. Funky and fresh. Funky and fresh opinions. In the case of distress, you have a fresh opinion that something bad is present. And in the case of pleasure, it's also a fresh opinion. Like, if you won a competition, you might be excited and riding a natural high. But after a while, when the victory is no longer fresh, you lose that excitement. So Stoics are like, hey, fresh opinions are bad because it means that the feeling is momentary and it's unneeded. So given the Stoics' view about good and bad, as well as just indifferent things... They believe that the only time any judgment should ever lead you to a manipulative emotion is in the case of distress when there is something which might threaten the important characteristic traits that we talked about before. That's it. Like the wisdom, the justice, the courage. That's the only time you should ever be led to a manipulative emotion. So like big Not traits, your health. But like just... Not your money. Yeah. Okay, cool. So impulses. I want to revisit what was said about our impulses. Yes. Reactions to pleasure and reactions to fear are considered excessive impulses that are disobedient to reason. According to the Stoics, impulse is a movement of the soul toward an object. When I hear that, and I'm not spiritual, but when I hear that, a movement of the soul towards an object, I think of it as like positive. And apparently that is not how the Stoics took that. Really? Because like when I think about it, it's like, it's like, all right, I want, like, you know, does an object have to be, like, a... An object is literally, like, when they say object, it's, like, anything. Like... Okay. It's nouns and adjectives and, and everything else in between. Right. So if I was, like, I really have an impulse to eat this fucking Cadbury cream egg McFlurry, which, mwah, um, that's a bad thing. Yeah, apparently. Wow. They want you to eat it, but they don't want you to ever be... Eating it because you had an impulsive want for it. So I can eat a Cadbury Egg McFlurry if I don't have an impulse to If do you so. are able to train yourself to go through a life without any cravings of a Cadbury McFlurry, then you can have Cadbury McFlurries when you actively choose to. You just shouldn't be a- moved to choose it. Okay, so as long as I'm not moved to choose something, but that begs the question, how do we choose anything if we're not moved be- to choose With logic... So if you had something once and then you say, okay, in my mind now, I know for a fact that Cadbury McFlurries are tasty. As long as you go through life and there's never a point where you're like, oh, I could really go for Cadbury. No, eh, wrong. You have to go through life like, eat, what should I eat? Something tasty. Something tasty, Cadbury McFlurry, go get one, eat it. <laughs> wow, I love that. Yeah, I just really thought that. That was very mechanical. But I <laughs> think that's that where Cadbury we're going with egg. it. These movements, because, you know, impulse, a movement of the soul towards an object, they, like, can be bad, but they're not all bad. Okay, cool. So I can be impulsed. Yeah, 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 yeah. So these movements, they're present in humans, yes, but they're also present in all other animate things. So, for example, the the easiest one would be animals. I was going to go with flowers, but then I was like, why would you put yourself through that and, like, try and explain it through a flower? Animals, Okay. They have impulses towards things that aid them or help them stay alive and stay healthy. And as Stoics would put it, their impulses are not driven by what is pleasurable, but instead are driven by what is appropriate to them. Right? So we talked about what is appropriate, oikeon, and money 
like we said before, is considered something appropriate for humans. Some people might look at money and say, money's pleasurable, but then then your impulses are done by the wrong thing. Then you're not like animals. You're not learning from monkey, like we said before. Then you're just being stupid human, you know? You have to be smart human who learned from monkey. Yes. And money can be appropriate. Money can be oikeon, but only if it is benefiting you. Yes. Not for the pleasure that you derive from it. It is an indifferent thing, but it still has value. Right. The Stoic idea of appropriateness, or oikeon, suggests a better order for prioritizing natural human preferences. So another example, like the money one, would be health. It is obviously objectively preferable to be healthy rather than being sick. Yes, I'd hope so, at least, you know. But I found out, because I was doing my research and I'm like, Okay, this all makes sense. You know, not that I agree with it, but it all makes sense except like why would any, how is health, how can health ever be bad? Ever. And then I found what their rationale was. So I guess back in the day, and I guess it could happen now, but like so, such a strange example. Back in Greek Roman times, if you were like captured by pirates and they were like, we know all of your information, you can either cut off your leg or we kill everyone in your family. Like, yeah, okay, a, a physical threat, that could still happen today. I'm just saying the fact that they even took this into account makes me think that this happened more often than now. And they were saying, well, sometimes we can't say that health is always good because if that were the case, then true Stoics would not cut off their hand in that situation. They'd say, I need my health. My health is above all else. And then their family would be killed. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Actually. Sometimes, like, like, your health has very a lot of value, but... It cannot be above everything else. And they seem to believe that wisdom just is like, how is anyone going to threaten you to lose your wisdom? It's not something that they can physically do. They can't threaten you to like, you need to give up your justice. Yeah, okay. So that's why they don't have health in there. But health, like money, is uh, objectively preferable and it's an oikeon. As we get older, our preferences and desires change a lot. Because as infants, all we know of appropriateness would be food and warmth. And with age, we find more things to be appropriate to us other than just those two basic necessities of life. Yes. The Greek word oikeon, which is actually not a Greek word now. So I like when this happens, when like words existed and then they just stop existing. I don't get how (laughs) that even happens, but apparently it does. Language. Roughly translates not only to what is suitable, but also what is akin to oneself. Akin, a word that I did not know until I did this, meaning related by blood, descended from a common ancestor, or essentially similar in a founding way. Yes. So with that logic, your family is, or should be, appropriate to you. We are all humans descending from one line of blood, and so all other rational humans are appropriate to us too. They are all oikeon. So the thing is, is that like Stoics made this whole appropriate to you section because they, well, we have to decide what's good or bad. They realized that it's not just good or bad. There's good, bad, and indifferent. And then they realized, wait, some indifference has value. And now we have what is appropriate to us. And hey, this can really help us because as long as people prioritize the good, the second thing in the line is what is appropriate to you. And then the third thing is like anything else, then people will be great. So the Stoics believe that if every human were to use this sort of rubric or assessment of what is or is not appropriate to you, then our society would go from valuing the wrong things, which causes suffering, to valuing not only ourselves, but others. Which is basically all of ethics. Yeah, like a checklist of how to make good decisions, basically. Or, like, ways to, like, ensure... Or, like, more like a prioritizing list, right? Like, as to, like, what would guide, like, good decisions or make a society less, like, you know, have less suffering. Right. 
all based on value, right? Because our values shape our decisions in life. So they were like, this is a priority list for what you should value. Um, let this guide the way, please. And thank you. Okay. Stoicism was the most influential school of the Greek Roman world. And it was very popular amongst the minority of people, pe uh, really men, minority of men who went to get an education, right? Not a lot of them, but those who were lucky enough to and privileged enough to, they learned Stoicism. They went to Stoic school. And I want to take some time to talk about a very important philosophical figure in the realm of Stoicism, wow. Epictetus. And again, I did search that up. So haters, back off and instead place your hate onto Google because they told me it's pronounced Epictetus. Kind of the poster child for like rags to riches sort of story. Considering he went from being a Roman slave with a physical disability to being one of the most famous and liked philosophers of the Hellenistic world. Look at him go. Let me say now, there is, uh, uh, really there's nothing rags about having a physical disability. So I don't want anyone thinking that I just smashed on everyone with a physical disability. <laughs> I'm just saying that back then, like if you had a physical disability, they like practically considered killing you. Like they were like, what's the purpose? Let alone the fact that he was a slave. Like they, they uh, for the most part, they would have already killed him, which is just like kind of shocking that they didn't. So he was a Roman slave with a physical disability, which in that day and age was like, it puts you on the level of women, which was very low. <laughs> so um, yeah. that's all I'm saying. Okay, we all had our, our struggling moments in ancient Greek Rome. Where was I even? You were talking about him and his education yeah. and a minority of men. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And how he went to become, he, he went on to become one of the more well-liked philosophers of the Hellenistic world, which yes. is an important distinction to make because lots of philosophers are famous. Not a lot of them are liked. Like that's a big accomplishment. Yeah. Just because you're famous, and we know that now still, like just because you're famous doesn't mean people like you. You can be famous for all the wrong reasons. Lots of philosophers were hated on, hated on. Yep. Everyone knew him, but they were hated on. So for him to be both famous and well-liked, uh, way to go, girl. You got this one in the yeah, back. Honestly, queen. So I do want to give a bit more context to those two facts, though, um, about the like, slave and the disability thing. So he was a slave to the secretary of the Roman emperor Nero. So, I mean, he was an important slave, to say the least. Yes. Um, and in terms of the disability, historians don't know if he was born with it or if his slave owner beat the disability into him. Um, mm -hmm. I also don't know even what the disability is. So I've just been picturing a guy with a limp and you people can choose the disability for yourselves. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. yeah, glad we're on the same page. Um, <laughs> for me, a limp works, you do you. When he was a slave, he studied stoicism. Just like, where do you find the time? But okay. Um, you study stoicism. Slave by day, stoicism <laughs> by night. Stoicism student by night. Exactly. Until his teacher was banished from Rome. So clearly Nero was not a stoicism fan. Wow. But it's okay because like all people, Nero died. And after Nero died, a new emperor took over and he decided he didn't like that old secretary too much. So he killed him. Ooh, Which man. in turn allowed Epictetus his freedom. Thanks, new guy in town. Thanks, bro. After that, he pretty much immediately began teaching philosophy, which is like, wow, good on you. You got that job surprisingly fast for a guy with a very small resume, but I respect <laughs> it. Um, and then roughly 10 years later, that new emperor guy decided to banish all philosophers from the entirety of Italy, which is so whack. Wow. First of all, I'm so confused because Emperor of Rome, you're not the Emperor of Italy. How do you even have that power? 
Man, I don't know. You'd have to ask my dad. He's like a pro on all Rome history, actually. Oh my god, next time I talk to Jamu, I'm gonna be like, can you explain to me how this man just said, like, it's like the president being like, everyone with a blue shoes, get out of North America. <laughs> and then Canada's like, wait, we're here too, and we like people with blue shoes. Like, how do you even make that? I just, it's just confusing. You know what? I, I don't know. It's a, probably a fallacy, though. Yeah, probably wasn't even in his power, but who questioned the people in charge back then? Exactly. Very relatable now. We'll move on. Um, so forcing Epictetus to move, he moved to northwestern Greece, a place called, let me get this right, I have three different versions, Nicopolis, or Nicopolis, or Nicopolis, which I'm liking the most, because anything that ends in Opolis <laughs> sounds better. But I'm just picturing that with, like, the name, like, Nicopolis, like, hey. Yeah, Nick but it's like, Opolis. it's like Nico. It's like N-I-C-O, and then Polis. Yeah. So, Nicopolis yeah. sounds just more fun, sounds like it'd be in Monopoly, and we're going with it. And in Nicopolis, he founded his own philosophy school, and it gained quite the reputation with some very Ooh. privileged students. It was like the it was like the Harvard for Stoicism yeah. to paint a picture. Makes sense. He lived a very simple and minimalistic life. He owned very few things, which is very on brand with Stoicism and anti materialism. No shocker there. He never got married. He had no kids. And for the majority of his life, he lived alone. But I did find this fact on the interwebs that I really want to share because it made my heart smile. It says, and I am quoting here, In his old age, he adopted a friend's child who would otherwise have been left to die and brought him up as his own. That's so good. Turns out all philosophers aren't heartless after all. That's great. Good for him, man. Thank you for saving the child who was going to be left to die. Thanks, bro. He was one of the larger leading teachers during the later years of Stoicism, and some would even go so far as to argue that he was the greatest Stoic of them all. Ah. This is because he was known to be a very powerful speaker, and according to some reports, don't ask me what reports, because I, I, I tried to find them, and I couldn't. I just found according to some reports. He was more popular in the Hellenistic period than Plato had been popular during the Socratic period. Really? Which is quite the drastic claim. Damn. Whoever decided that, or whoever decided to say that has some pretty big balls. Yeah, 100%. Like, Plato's ready in his grave to just come out with a fight. Fist up, ready to go at it. That's a fight I'd like to see, honestly. Oh, I would. I'd pay money. Now, it's important to remember that Stoicism was created almost 400 years before Epictetus was born. And because so little work from the original Stoic philosophers has survived, the Epictetus writing is naturally a major source of our modern-day Stoic knowledge. So, of course, we think of, like, a lot of people think of him as, like, the Stoic guy, but that's only because, like, for the most part, we, that's all we have to go off of. Yes. And then also, just in an argument against it, it's difficult to tell how much Epictetus kept from the original Stoic, you know, lessons or know for sure the extent to which he innovated Stoicism himself, like how much he made up or added to that, which is very similar to how we've like come to understand Socrates, because everything we know about Socrates, we have to believe out of the words of Plato, because Socrates infamously never wrote anything down. Epictetus also, did not write anything down. Ah, uh, there we go again. And all of his work that we read today was transcribed by one of his student friends. 
It's interesting because we just believe that they said this stuff. We're like, yeah, it sounds believable. It's going, it's, it's hitting a little too close to the Bible for me. Like, what is with all these philosophers being so big-headed that they never wrote anything down? First Socrates, now Epictetus. And Epictetus doesn't even have an excuse. He's so much younger. Like, he knows that that's a dick thing to do. Yeah, like, man, come on. <gasps> oh, wait. Oh, I'm dumb. Um, why are you dumb? Because uh, he has a physical disability, and that's probably why he needed someone to describe it. Ooh. Ooh, boy. That's, that's, well, wow. I'm so sorry, Epictetus. I just came for you <laughs> for no good reason. We really just started a roast session. Um, that's my bad, and I own that. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, so just to sum up, you really bring that to a close, sum up some of his actual stoic beliefs, just real quick. Um, Epictetus argued that the greatest good was contentment, serenity, and peace of mind, which sounds dope. I could go for a big plate full of, you know, peaceful mind right now. I don't know about you. Sounds like a delicious plate, honestly. Yeah, I, I eat it up. And all of those lovely things can be achieved through sufficient control over both your desires and emotions, as well as a life lived without materialistic things. Beautifully put. So that's Epictetus for you. Big guy in Stoicism. And in order to be a good Stoic, you needed to improve your own ethical outlook by doing what they called agreeing with nature. Literally, the famous Stoicism catchphrase, if you will, is, and I quote, live according to nature. That's, that's the saying. Really funky. Funky and fresh. Nature in this sense refers to both the laws of the universe and of human nature, which basically means our rationality and our reasonable mind. Stoic philosophers taught their students that in order to understand the universal meaning of life, they needed to become unbiased and self-disciplined thinkers. Using that logic, unhappiness was simply the result of a person's lack of effort to understand their mind. And if someone is being hateful or mean, it's because they are unaware of their end goal or purpose in life. When you look at it this way, then the practice of Stoicism is not only easy to understand, but it's also very useful. Stoicism, in practice, is choosing to examine your own judgments and behavior in order to find out where you might be wrong, when you started being wrong, and how you can get back on the road towards being right and being good. That's a, that's a good message. Yeah. All I can think of, though, is like, Someone calls me a name, like, they call me stupid. And I'm like, you clearly do not know your purpose or goal in life. Go think about that and then come back when you know. But also, like, accurate. Honestly. (laughs) Not that I would say it because I'm too much of a bitch and I would either silent treatment or say something way ruder back. But that is what you need to... Anyone, anyone listening right now, if you... Life lesson from Preston and Lala. Life lesson. If anyone ever looks at you and says, you're stupid, those are the exact words that you need to think in your head. In your head, you say, you clearly do not know your purpose in life or your end goal. You should probably revisit that before you come for me. Because that's the truth. Snaps. Snaps Period, queen. That's it. Period. (laughs) Epictetus, back to that guy, encouraged his students to try their hardest to discover the true nature of things using two different categories. One, things we have absolute constant power over. So that'd be judgment, impulse, desires. And two, the things we do not. That'd be our health, our possessions, our reputation, things like that. In order to achieve serenity and peace of mind, you should only concentrate on the things you have control over and work on your ability to not be affected by the things that we can't control. That's deep. 
very important in my life. I have issues with control, but like I, I've worked on them. Like I've gotten better, but I'm like aware of the fact that one of my biggest general issues in life in terms of internalized issues, you know, like not, you know, like is my yeah. struggle with not having control or, or feeling like I have too much control. Like it's just control in general. And this is exactly what literally I go to therapy for <laughs> is like my ability to say like, this is what I have control over. This is what I don't have control over. And that's okay. Yeah, honestly, that's a, like in, in therapy, they should literally just be like, hey, stoicism. Because honestly, I think it's such like an important thing to realize. Like I think a lot of like anxiety, at least for me personally, generally sources from things that you don't have control over. Mm -hmm. So to be able to recognize that you can only really control and you should only control the things that you have control over is such like a, like a relieving feeling. Like it's like, I don't have control over this thing. So how, why should I focus on that logically? Like you logically shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I, I guess I knew stoicism already in some sort of way. I was listening to all of that, I promise. I was also thinking that I should really hop on here and say, um, I know that my mom, hi mommy, listens to my podcast <laughs> and she's going to come for me for saying like, go to therapy as in I'm currently in it because I really should be. But I really, what I mean is what I went to therapy for. Um, yes. And I don't want her saying that I'm lying. So I, w I went to therapy, which is still valid. And I should probably go back, but yeah, it, mommy, don't come for me. Okay. Mommy. I'm telling the truth now. Okay. Really, we're at the, the near end of this conversation. I just really want to pull it back in, especially now that we've talked about therapy, getting really deep in there. What can we take from stoicism today? You know, 21st, it's the 21st century, right? Yeah, it is the 21st century. I'm glad you know which century you're in. For some reason, I, I always get confused between 20th and 21st. Well, not for some reason, because those are the, because that one just happened. That's probably why I get confused <laughs> with it. But like, I, I don't know. I'm like, is it the 20th or the 21st? Okay, 21st century. How do we incorporate aspects of stoicism? Um, I'm sure every minimalist out there wants me to say, become a minimalist. I don't really care. Own what you want. Yep. But I do agree with like prioritizing your values. I have no problem with people valuing materialistic things. You just shouldn't value them over other things. Yeah, 100%. Like I think actually like the list you were talking about before, like pardon me if I don't remember all the terms because there was a lot of information I just processed. on. on. <laughs> but like there's a lot of like the, the concept of like having like the prioritizing of certain values over others, you know, like, you know, first comes like, you know, justice, wisdom, the very, very like more important things in life. And then like the appropriate things are for money and like health, which things you could be better off with. And then like just things that don't matter. I think like if you know at the end of the day that like your decisions will lead to things that like secure those top values i think that's a really good way to live life by rather than worrying about all the material small things and prioritizing that over the most important things so i think that's something really important to take away from all of this facts facts and then some more facts um so for all the stoics for the stoics it was important to recognize the common reason and essential value of all people right? So we just talked about how like valuing like just, you know, life and things, but like they were like, oh my god, are you kidding me? There's like a construction truck. What even are you? What are you? What is this shrub care truck that's backing up Ugh. so loudly? Okay, whatever. I'm over it. Um, So they were like, hey, there's like an essential and common value amongst all human beings. And knowing that, it's no shocker that the Stoics heavily promoted egalitarianism. For anyone who doesn't know what egalitarianism is, it's not the horse thing. <laughs> it's not a horse. Some people confuse it with equestrian. 
<laughs> they're two different things. An equestrian is someone who rides a horse. An egalitarian is not, <laughs> not the same thing. Egalitarianism is the belief in human equality, especially with respect to social, political, and economic rights and privileges. Did you just call out my specialist? Oh my god. That's so offensive of me. Yeah, how dare you just mention all, all of what I learned. I didn't know you were in school to learn about horses. That's whack. That's crazy. Oh my god. <laughs> so they were like, hey, egalitarianism. We like it. You should too. And they were also, not also, they were, just like I proved right now, um, very progressive in that sense because they even went so far as to argue that slaves were their equals, which for the very first century... That's right. They were in the first century, which I just find comedic. Um, for the very first century, that was just not something that you said. You didn't say yeah. that slaves were... Oh, it's like, I don't even know how to emphasize this. I don't know if I need to. I feel like people just should be able to get it. But like, that just wasn't something anyone said. You could get hurt for saying something like that. Yep. That's kind of what we're talking about right now. Um, Yay, first century. <laughs> good job, first century. Setting the bar real low. <laughs> Honestly. Along the same lines, they tried hard to dismantle this idea that differences in political rank or family wealth held any importance in relationships between people. So for what it's worth, I mean, they were really, they were really into sticking it to the man. First century. Crazy. Sticking it to that man, whichever the man it was. Nero, who knows? Last but not least, the two things that I personally choose to emphasize and take with me from Stoicism both came from the lovely Epictetus himself. Lesson number one, difficult problems in life should not be avoided, but rather embraced as if they were exercises needed for the health of your mind and your soul. Ooh, I like that. Lesson number two, we can never fail to be happy if we learn to desire that things should be exactly as they are. I just... Uh, beautiful just stunning at first i read that and i was like what like what does that even like what and then i like reread it and then i reread it again which is typically what i do generally in life because i have um a learning disability that uh, forces me to but this time i did it by choice and um i was like wait i love that so much because basically what he's saying and i i don't know how you stand on this on the like this idea of like fate or like destiny i'm not even entirely sure where I stand on it fully, but I do have this kind of idea, found, founding belief in me that like your life, how it's going right now is supposed to go that way. No, I agree with that. I don't understand or can't ever put myself in the place of someone who sits and goes like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I, I am very much on like accepting like whatever path you're on, like that's the path you're on for a reason, that there's a reason for things. I'm not sure if I believe in like, oh, I was always supposed to get here. I'm like, I, I don't think I agree with like the destination wise. I just think like the path, like where you're moving, like it will take you somewhere. And there's a reason for why you're moving in that direction. Who knows where it's going to take you. There's probably a lot of different options, but like you're, you're living your life for a reason and you should accept it and be proud of it. But then, like, with that, okay, cool, lots of people live that way. But then you reread his quote. He doesn't say we can be happy if we learn to accept things exactly as they are. No, 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 he says you can always be happy if we learn to desire that things should be exactly as they are. Right, so he's saying, like, if we look, not just, oh, this is the way things are, but if it's like, you know what, I am where I'm supposed to be and I want it to be this way is kind of, like, what he's getting at, right? Yeah, it's, like, way more positivity. Like, even if you feel like you're at such a low point in your life, approaching that from a place of, like, I'm so happy I'm here right now because I know it's for a good reason. 
No, that's a very important lesson. It's actually so weird because I've been seeing so many, like, tweets and just so much shit online, and it's like, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I'm like, sometimes I doubt, like, you know, I can't always have a very happy mindset towards things. Obviously, like, you know, we're in a fucking pandemic. Everything's not, you know, totally amazing. But, you know, like, there's a lot of things that are happening in my life or a lot of things where I currently am, and I'm like, you know what? Like, this is good. This is where I'm meant to be, and this is, like, this you is know, real. This is me. That. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be now. <laughs> Gonna let the light shine on me. Honestly, just live your life by that. Yeah, like I totally agree like that. It's very important to view like where you are in life in a positive light because that will end up making you happier rather than being like, I'm not supposed to be here. Fuck this shit. I'm out. Like kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It's definitely good mindset. Absolutely. With this, with all this new knowledge, first of all, how are you feeling after this conversation? I'm feeling enlightened. It's actually kind of, um, when we were talking about that whole egalitarian thing, I think it's kind of ironic because you're like, oh, like they've been doing this since the first century, but it's kind of, you know, we think we're so progressive and like we look back at often at what they did in these philosophical ages sometimes and we're like, oh, like <laughs> we're better than that. But at the same time, you know, society still struggles with, you know, seeing people as equal in equal relationships. Like it's just, it's crazy to me that we consider ourselves so advanced yet we can't even like, learn to see each other as equals and you know we need to get some more epictetus 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 mm -hmm. yeah it's an epictet and us okay so the epictet and us we could use some <laughs> more some more of that in our lives honestly talking as someone who just learns about all the atrocities that happen because we can't see each other as equals but you know yeah no but i think like that's the funny thing is we go not we go around but like society is like we are so advanced but advanced in what way advanced in materialistic ways yeah 100 percent in materialistic ways but you know ironically you know if we're going by stoicism that's that doesn't it's not really important at the end of the day if we're prioritizing that and i 100 percent agree that society generally i hate to sound like very like stick it to the man but in a very you know capitalist material based society i feel like we've actually prioritized that and i think in everyone's life too the goal is to get money get money have a good job have security at the expense of fundamental qualities like wisdom justice you know love and all these things right but even now like even as we're having this conversation i'm realizing even materialism in the way that they talked about it they weren't talking about just like clothes and whatever they were talking about like external things that really did not have value anyone who Okay, let me like try and phrase this in a, the right way because I'm yes. not trying to be overly cautious. I'm just trying to make sense. Anyone who is a little bit more, a little happier with where our society is than they should be, a little bit of blind happiness and faith and optimism, anyone who's like that can sit and hear us say like, oh, we've only advanced in materialistic ways. And they say, they'd say, no, we've advanced in cultural and like psychological, like movement ways like like you know like the rights of human rights basically you know like but think about this all of that is physical change we allowed women to start working physically in jobs we allowed yes. um black people to stop being slaves which is not an allow that's just like freeing them from something that they shouldn't have been in no matter what all of this change so to speak which is supposed to be societal change from the heart is actually it's all physical change to the stoics would say that's material change that's not yeah. real change. Our beliefs in justice and courage and wisdom and equality are, are nearly stagnant to where they were in the first century. 100%. Like, like, and this is something like this I learned like everywhere in my program. It's just like, it's also like a reality that sometimes we are ignorant to in our society is that, okay, yeah, we progress. We have in documentation, we have women's rights. Women can work, you know, physically work. You were saying like the example of slaves. 
but in actual relationships and in actual like ways we interact with people that even I'm guilty a lot of us are guilty of not actually applying those principles to like how we treat each other in relationships and it's not it's not equal we do not like and that's why we still have so many of the problems we have today and just so many different dimensions where because we can only like we've made physical changes but fundamentally like the values of which we hold other people have not really changed a whole lot so lot to learn from the stoics and lot to learn from the monkeys yes pretty much which brings us to the end of today's episode Layla, thank you so much for joining me at the back of the class. I'm so happy to be at the back of the class. Thank you for having me here. This is like your first time being at the back of the class because you're a front of class student. You're like an, I've made you an honorary back of class <laughs> student now. You're welcome. I, I'm so honored. You'll thank get a badge. So <gasps> that should be my merchandise. I should make back of class like badges. You should. That'd be a fantastic idea. Oh my God, I'll send you one. You'll be the first one to get a PR box. <laughs> Yes, Jay Presti's PR box. Is there anything that you want to... This was really good. I ha, I think this is a really good episode. Like, this we is going to really be... really deep talk. This is going to be a bomb one. Is there anything that you want to plug before we go? Um, I mean, I don't really have a lot of things to plug, but if you want to follow me, uh, I think it's at Layla Bender. No, at Layla underscore Bender on Instagram. You know what? I'm going to just plug in all rights. You know, plug in... Plug in a lot of important issues that we don't focus on today. Indigenous rights, we don't focus a lot on those specifically, especially in Canada. You think we're multicultural, but it doesn't always happen that way. Um, treat people with respect and engage with people in ways that is respectable and, you know, as equal as possible and aligns with stoicism, as I've learned today. Yes. Before I do my ending syllogism, I do need to just ask for confirmation on a fact. Um, Layla, you are indeed a ginger, correct? Yes, unfortunately I am. Okay, I will take that with me into my syllogism. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. My name is Jordan Preston. This has been the Back of the Class podcast. And if A, impulses are just the soul moving towards an object. And B, gingers, technically, scientifically speaking, do not have souls. Then C, Layla Bender does not have any impulses ever. I'm just immune. That's awesome. That's honestly. so good for you. I wish. Excuse me, glass. <laughs> glass. <laughs> <laughs>